Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for praying. I absolutely love praying with you guys, and, and I'm really looking forward to hearing some stories of God answering those prayers. So we're going to do something um, a tiny bit different as we go through Matthew. I want to just simply read it together, and I encourage you, uh, maybe you don't even know where to go in your devos in this time, or you're in between books or something, just jump into Matthew and follow along with us. Um, as we read through Matthew as a church, we're going to have different people coming up at the beginning of the message each, each week, and they're going to read the passage, the chunk of Matthew that we're going to be digging into. And today, uh, Tom has graciously agreed. Um, I say graciously because he gets to read the genealogy today, and he nailed it at the first service, and he's going to nail it again. So this is the word of the Lord. Come on up, Tom, and we get to listen to it together. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminibdab, Anibadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of um, Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, and the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Nathan, and Nathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Awesome. Thank you. How many of you have memorized that one? No? Come on. That's like, that's like Sunday school number one. No, maybe not. Uh, thanks. Nailed it again. Absolutely. Um, that's, a, that's a passage we often skip over 
uh, as we get to, like, we just want to run to the, um, we want to run to Jesus being born often, right? And um, we, we looked at Matthew uh, last week, and we, we talked about what Matthew is actually up to. You guys remember, there's two main things that, that Matthew was up to um, uh, that, was, that were his priorities. Why on earth would he start with a family tree? Well, we remember, number one, Matthew is uh, sharing and, and trying to share the good news that Jesus is not just some, uh, some new sect or some new cult, um, but that he is a continuation of the Old Testament. And so, um, so there's this genealogy, but not only that, but that Jesus is a king and he is establishing a forever kingdom. Those are the two main pieces that Matthew is really drawing out throughout the whole book. And so right as he jumps in, he starts out, and that's exactly what he does. But we are not ancient Hebrews, and so it gets lost on us a little bit. It gets, uh, like, it just becomes a list of names that really, like, are not in baby books anymore. Um, but I would love to see some, like, Zadoks and Zerubbabels around. Uh, we have a baby boom, and so um, I, next, next names, Zadok. That's a good one. Um, there's a lot of names in here that, like, if you're a Bible nerd, you're sitting here and you're just so excited because you get what Matthew is doing. It's actually amazing. But if you just kind of don't have a whole grasp on the Old Testament, which um, the majority of us, I mean, that's, that's okay. We need to dig in and study more of the Old Testament. But uh, I'll acknowledge the fact that lots of this gets missed. And so my, my goal for this morning is to try to show us a little bit about um, a little bit more clearly what Matthew was getting at. Because this story was written, it's not a biography of Jesus, it's not an autobiography of Matthew. Do you remember last from last week what type of writing this is? It is a gospel. It's a gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news, right. Gospel is good news. This is a news bulletin of about Jesus. This is a news bulletin about a king who came that king that had actually been promised a long, 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 long time ago. And so this news bulletin is saying all of, the, all of this Old Testament peace is fulfilled in Jesus. It's good news, and it's a news bulletin for the world to read and to hear, and it's earth-shattering news. And that's that first thing, that Jesus is a continuation of the Old Testament narrative of the one true God, Yahweh, who has always been. And Jesus is a continuation of that story. Or actually, he was really the fulfillment of the promises to Israel, their Messiah. And that's, that's huge. Uh, one podcaster that I listened to, he likened it to this. He, sa- he says, the Old Testament essentially is the ba-da-da-da-da. And then, but then it just, it's just hanging out there for hundreds of years. And Jesus comes and he's the da da Right? And Jesus comes and he finishes it. Because for so long, it's just the Old Testament leaves so many pieces that are just loose ends. And what Matthew is doing in his genealogy in a big way is showing through this good news the loose ends, the, the boxes that, that the Messiah would have to tick. There were so, so many to these Jewish readers. They know that they're going to start reading a book about somebody who's claiming to be the Messiah. There's a whole lot of background that is going to need to line up 
in order for that to be the case. So Matthew jumps right in, and he doesn't waste any time, and he jumps right in with the genealogy, and it would have absolutely sucked the reader right in, right away in those days. And he starts with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And and so he jumps in, and, it, and it's not just a list of names. He jumps in. We know David, and we know Abraham. Those are, those are two pretty common names. I mean, you get down to Eliud, and it gets a little bit foggy sometimes. But we know David, and we know Abraham. And so we know that David, he was, he was a beloved king of Israel. And we know that Abraham is actually the line that Israel came from. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right, who became Israel. Uh, 12 sons, uh, we're kind of like remembering, I'm not going to go into all this story, we're kind of remembering all this stuff. Read Genesis and Exodus, it's awesome. Um, there, so he, Matthew is bringing us back to these names, but names mean a lot more than just simply a name, like, oh, that's my great-great-great-grandpa. Names encompass a lot of ideas behind them, and the places and times, and the stories behind the names. Like, if I mentioned um, Ronald Reagan, or Mother Teresa, or Adolf Hitler, or Tiger Woods, or Billy Graham. If you think of any of those names, they aren't actually just names. They, they make you think of their, their story, the time and place in history, what was happening, what was going on in culture, the good, the bad, the horrible everything that was going on, these names represent a time and a place in history that as the Jewish readers would have been reading through, they would have been remembering the narrative, the story that is behind this list of, of kings, this list of men in, in Jesus's line. Um, and, and they were taken back to those places and those times that those names represented. And for a Jew who is expecting to read about a promised Messiah, um, two names that matter most are David and Abraham. Those are like the, the, the two names that, that kind of mattered most to, to anyone who is expecting a Messiah. And we know David. David was a beloved king. He, he's, he loves the flannel graph. He just hogs that thing. Like he, he loves, there's so many stories about David that we, that we cherish and that we love. So David... Uh, next to Moses, really, he would have been one of the most important figures in Hebrew culture, and he was a noble figure in the mind of a first-century Jew. And Abraham was literally the father of the nation itself uh, through his line after uh, the miraculous conception of Isaac and his line going, going through Isaac. It's amazing. Read Genesis and Exodus. Um, but as you start the book, Jesus is saying this. This Jesus that I'm about to tell you about, he's descended from Jewish royalty. He is, uh, he is in the line of David. He has a rightful claim to be king of the Jews. He is the promise of Abraham to bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so in order to get all of that, we actually need to go back to the Old Testament to see what Matthew is doing here. You guys with me so far? Yeah? Okay, good. Because we're going to have to walk through this a little bit together because in, it, when the original listeners or readers read this, they would have automatically gone there because they, they just knew these stories. But for us, we might need to do a little bit more work. Um, this was huge 
for the Jews, and it actually, this actually still is huge. This is the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised Abraham. Now, when God promises something, it's not just a little thing. God himself promised Abraham that through his lineage, a great nation would be born, would arise, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through that nation. Uh, That's not a small thing. But if you think of Israel's history, um, yes, they they have been a very much a blessing to many, many nations, but throughout their history, they've also been a terror to many, many nations along the way as well. They, they, have, they have made a mess much of the time, as well as God um, blessing them, and they have been a blessing to the nations as well. So this nation is born from Abraham. God keeps that promise, and after some generations, it has its own land and its own government, Again, read Genesis and Exodus, please. It's awesome. Um, has, and and we, we're going to just time travel a little bit. Go forward, and now they're in their own place, and David is king. David is king in Israel. And David is king, and David has this promise from God. David gets this promise from God, and it's central to Jewish belief. Like, they, there are still thousands, I, would, I think millions, of Jewish people that are still waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. Check it out. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And this is the prophet Nathan speaking the word of the Lord to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But with my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Three times, three times, God says to David, your kingdom, your line, is going to last forever, three times. No wonder this is an important passage for the Jews. In this prophecy, in this prophecy, it is doing what many prophecies do, and it speaks to the immediate circumstance, but it, it has a double meaning that would be for down the road, years, generations to come. It happens quite often in scripture where the prophecy will be for now and point to a time in the future. And so that's what's happening here because we know this because uh, it is, we are told that David, David's own, coming from his own body, his own line would be this king that would reign forever. Yet we know that Jesus, it can't be Jesus as we're looking in the rearview mirror because it said that when he commits Iniquity. When he when he sins, I will discipline him. We know that Jesus didn't sin, so that that piece is talking about Solomon, who was David's son, and 
In fact, it would be very easily, if I was in David's shoes or I heard about this, it would be very easy to interpret this prophecy as, okay, Solomon is going to be the one to establish this kingdom that's going to last forever. This kingdom is going to last forever. But then we go to 1 Kings chapter 11. We've got a lot of Bible today. If you're following along, you're just going to have to fly around a little bit. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we see a tragedy. Solomon, he started out pretty good, but how did it end for Solomon? Was it good? No, it didn't end up so good. The guy ends up with like a thousand wives. He had a little bit of a problem, like a big problem. Um, it's pretty messed up. These wives were not Hebrew wives either, which was against um, the Torah. And so these wives were not Hebrew wives, and they were foreign, and they were dragging Solomon. The problem was they were dragging Solomon in to worshiping foreign gods and idols. And so we come to 1 Kings 11, and we read this. It says, therefore, the therefore is because of all of that Solomon was doing by worshiping other idols. It says, therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant, and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. And so this sounds like super bad news, like the covenant is over. Wasn't David's kid supposed to have a forever kingdom? But First Kings tells us that God was going to tear it away from Solomon, David's kid. So clearly, God's promise to David is not fulfilled in Solomon. It's the big but, da, 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 and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Does it mean it's over? Does it mean there's no more covenant? There is this understanding that this covenant was conditional, and it was based upon the people following God alone and submitting to his law by walking blamelessly. That was the understanding. In fact, uh, Solomon himself knew this, where a couple chapters earlier he prayed, and he prayed this. It says, Therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only, that's a big if only, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as, they, as you have walked before me. The expectation was essentially that someone sinless would have to take the place as this forever king from the line of David. And that's completely out of the realm of reality for anyone in Israel and anyone in history. Clearly, Israel had angered God with their sin and had taken themselves out from under the blessing of God many times in their history. In fact, if you read this genealogy, the kings that are listed here, you see a roller coaster of a relationship between Israel and God, Yahweh. It's good at times, it's bad, and it's extremely bad at others. Well, a while after Solomon, there's this succession of kings um, we have these prophets that come into the story. And these prophets are, are, tell, are, are sent to speak the word of God to Israel and warn them. And, and we have three, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. And they all speak of a future fulfilling of this promise to David. But they came well after Solomon. And so 
if you thought it was over, you start to say, it, it's not quite over yet. They, they share that from David's line would still come a forever king with a forever kingdom. It's not over yet. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 37, says, But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. So Ezekiel, much after Solomon, he, it could have, God could have just said, I will save them from the sin and cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. But he still ties it back to his promise to David because he's a covenant promise-keeping God, and he's actually so committed to making this happen. As it, and in this, you know then that God is saying, it's not over yet. I'm not done with my commitment to David. That's a big thing if you're a Jew who's waiting for a Messiah. That's a really, really big thing. Um, and then Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says this. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And again, we see God's heart speaking through Jeremiah that he himself, God himself would have to raise up this king because he can because we know, obviously, throughout history and throughout all of our lives that none of us are going to get there on our own. So God says that he himself is going to raise up this king from the line of David and that he is still committed to this thing. He is still committed to this. And perhaps most clearly of all, Isaiah prophesies that in order for this forever king to come, and to be actually perfectly righteous and to be able to live and fulfill our human side of the covenant, it would actually have to be God himself in the flesh. It says this, for us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's no getting around the fact that we, we know that it had to be God who fulfilled his own covenant. We keep reading, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. God himself comes as king. Jesus Christ is the king. Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. That is what Matthew is getting at. Hallelujah, because we know the end of the story, right? Hallelujah. That is good news. God himself in human form. The only way that this covenant could be fulfilled was for God to come himself and complete the promise. And he is so committed. He made this promise to David, and he continues. And the only way would be to fulfill it himself, Jesus Christ, both God and man. And that is what Matthew is getting at. And that is what the readers of this letter 2,000 years ago would have been reading as they read the words, a descendant of David 
and Abraham. They would have, they, all that we just talked about, that would have just been like, yes, okay, that's what you're saying. That's automatic. We're like, we, we get it. This is, this is some good news that we're going to read. Jesus isn't starting a new religion. He's a fulfillment of the promise of the one true God to his chosen people. And so Matthew sets this up in such a way that the rest of the book is then setting out to show and prove what kind of king Jesus is, as he is the true king and Messiah. So that's all great, and it's wonderful, but none of us are Israelites. We're all non-Jews that are gathered together living 2,000 years after all of this took place. So why does it matter today? Well, it matters because, to us, because it actually was always God's plan that we, non-Jews, would be a part of his kingdom, that he would welcome the whole world into this kingdom, and that's what Jesus was doing. In fact, right here in the genealogy, we actually see God's heart for this, and Matthew brilliantly puts this together as he was led by the Spirit. First, you'll notice that four women are mentioned in the genealogy. First, women were never mentioned in genealogies in the ancient world. They were never mentioned. They were never honored in that way. They were just not, as, not valued as important in that culture. But here they are, valued by God, and, and each one, out of the four of them, each one is a non-Jew. Each one is not Jewish. Now, that's like whatever to us because we're a melting pot, but that's a big deal if you are trying to preserve bloodlines and be the most pure and noble because the people were looking for a political king as noble as David to rescue them from Roman oppression. That was their view of what the Messiah was going to be. But we read, um, we read of Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, these non-Jewish women who have a, who have a piece in the storyline of Jesus. And um, so that parents don't have conversations on the way home, go and read the stories of these women. They are not, the, well, three of the four are not the type of, type of people you would like throw into your genealogy if you were trying to prove that this is, this is somebody worth following that comes from a noble bloodline. That's not it at all. They had a less than reputable past. Uh, you can read their stories on your own. If Matthew was trying to establish a noble, sinless bloodline, which was expected in those days, at least not sinless, but at least like very prestigious, if that's what he was trying to do, he did a really bad job. Because we see the messed up nature of so many of these people in this line. They were not looking for a king with a tainted, scandal-laden family tree, and especially not one with non-Israelites in it. The kings listed here bring to mind sin-filled lives and, and the demise of the nation that was once great in Israel. These are people that you would probably leave out of your family tree if given the opportunity, but not Matthew. He shares about how Jesus steps in to the messiness. Jesus steps into the brokenness of the world. And Jesus actually doesn't need to hide the past because he came to redeem it. And that's the same for you. I have a past you have a past, but Jesus came to redeem it. He came for the sinner. He's not embarrassed about that. He came for you and he came for me. And he came as the forever king to rescue the whole world. 
And it wasn't only Israel. It was everybody. He came for everybody. And that's written right into his genealogy. Who knew a genealogy could be so amazing, hey? That's good news for you and me today that we get to be welcomed into the family of Jesus and that he came for sinners because I am one. So are you. Revelation 11.15 says this of the days to come. It says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the world. He's not going to wipe everybody out, and it's just going to be Israel at the end, although he still has a very special place for Israel. We get to be welcomed in, and one day Jesus is returning, and he is going to reign, and everybody will know, and we get to bow before him as king now, before it's too late. So the mission of the church today then would be this, submit to Jesus as king. Submit to Jesus as functional, like actually functioning as Lord of your life. That's a really big concept, and that's what we're going to actually explore a whole lot as we go through Matthew. What does it look like to actually live as if Jesus is king of your life? We've been welcomed into this wonderful promise of God, and we're a part of the rescue plan. It's amazing. We can, with confidence, take Isaiah 55. I'm going to leave you with this passage today. Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. We can, with confidence, take this as we make Jesus king in our lives. Isaiah 55 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. We understand that grace is freely given. And we come to God not to purchase anything or to earn salvation by any, by any sense, but we come and we eat and we find our sustenance free of charge before a Savior. And we come to him and he says that you can actually enter into a covenant with this God that is going to be as sure as his covenant that he made for, for David. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. The same way that he keeps his covenant with David and is so committed, he will be committed to you as you make him king and functional Lord of your life. And that's a wonderful promise. And he's going to contend for you. And when you mess it up, he's going to work things and be working in your life to try to keep that covenant. He's committed. He was committed for thousands of years to Jesus. And he's committed to you today, and he's committed for eternity. That's good news, amen? That's good news. There's so much more in this genealogy, but I encourage you to dig in and study on your own time. Otherwise, we're going to take like 30 years to go through Matthew, and I don't want to do that to you. But um, make sure you're reading Matthew as we go through this together. There's so much in here. It's so rich. Come to Jesus today. Come to him. Acknowledge him as king. 
enter into that everlasting covenant with him. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are, you are the author, the perfecter of our faith. You began it and you say you're going to finish it. And so Jesus, I pray that, that we all would acknowledge and truthfully live as, as you are king. What you say goes. We know that we have a gracious, good king a generous king, a king who leads us perhaps through uncomfortable places, but it is for ultimate good. And so we will follow you wherever you take us. And we thank you that we rest on your promises. All your promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you that you're willing to keep that promise. And we commit our lives to you. We thank you. We trust you, our Savior, the King, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for joining us online. Bless you guys. Uh, stay